Hello, welcome back to episode three of Woe is Media. Thank you for joining us today. We've got a lot in store for you. Um, on the news side, I'm going to talk about Chairman Jerome Powell and his uh, hearing with Congress. And we're also going to talk about the big popularity with uh, special purpose acquisition companies on Wall Street. So we'll get into that later. Um, Alyssa, what have you got on the docket for us? Uh, today, I will be talking about Paramount Plus and it's um, seemingly reliance on reboots and revivals of previously aired television shows, mm -hmm. as well as um, a little snippet about uh, Sir Paul McCartney's upcoming book. Ooh, that's exciting. Yes. Sir Paul McCartney. Sounds Sir so Paul. I guess Sir. he was knighted and that's why he's called Sir. Is that right? He was. He was knighted by the queen back in 97 or 98, I believe. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, you know. All right, then. So Paul McCartney, we'll hear more about him later in the episode. <laughs> um, but we'll get into our first story about Jerome Powell. Um, he had a little convo this week with Congress because, so for those of you who don't know, he is the chairman of the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is the central bank of the United States of America. They control our money supply and they are in charge of monetary policy. So they're the ones who basically, you know, guarantee the currency. They're the ones who kind of oversee the mint and creating it. Um, and they're responsible for kind of changing interest rates between banks. Um, that's like one of their primary tools. So pretty periodically, the, um, the Fed will make announcements after they've had meetings about what they're gonna do with the interest rates and stuff like that. And everybody on Wall Street pays attention because what the Fed says is generally a good indicator of how they feel about the economy. It's kind of a temperature check for everybody. Yes. So, Jerome Powell is a, a pretty powerful guy. Um, he's fairly new to the Federal Reserve. He took office, um, the, the former chairwoman was Janet Yellen and Jerome Powell took over for her because Trump decided he wanted his own pick when he was in office. So um, Powell has been chairman since Trump was elected back in 2016. Um, does not look like Powell is in danger of losing his job. So that's good news for him. But um, it should also be noted that the Federal Reserve is supposed to stay neutral. They're not really supposed to show loyalty, no matter who put them in that position. Mm -hmm. Their purpose is not to serve a president. Their purpose is to serve the American economy. Hell yeah. Um, so yes, we love neutrality. <laughs> um, so Congress spoke to him this week and was like, what's going on, man? Like, how, how are you feeling about the economy? Are we all screwed here? Is there a light in the COVID tunnel? And he is a realist. He's not going to sugarcoat things. I mean, he's, I think anybody in economics is, you know, a numbers person and they're not going to put rose colored glasses on, and, you know, say that we're all going to be fine tomorrow because COVID still exists and not everybody's vaccinated yet. So he basically gave everyone reassurance that he is not going to do anything to cause problems. He's not concerned about the economy heating up too quickly. Um, he just wants to make sure that the Federal Reserve is going to keep doing what they're doing in order to support the economy. So they're going to keep interest rates right now, right now are like a quarter of a percent, 25 basis points. Is that good or bad? So that's extremely low. And it is a good thing for lenders because it means that it is extremely cheap to borrow money, both from the Federal Reserve and from other banks. Okay. And it kind of has a little bit of a trickle down effect. So 
the cheaper it is for lenders to borrow, the cheaper it is for consumers to borrow. So right now you're seeing a huge resurgence in people refinancing their mortgages because interest rates have dropped dramatically. So that's going to save them a lot of money on their interest payments with their mortgage every month. So it is ultimately a good thing. And it's something that the Federal Reserve uses to kind of stimulate consumer activity, um, make it easier and keep that liquidity and that cash going through the American economy. Um, so when the Fed raises rates, it's called a hawkish outlook. And when the Fed lowers rates, it's called a dovish outlook. So it's pretty dovish right now because they're trying right. to get us back on track. Yes. Oh, I was just doing All like the a birds. Dove. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All good. Um, so yeah, but he, Jerome Powell said he's not going to do anything hawkish. He's, he's still very cautious about what's going on right now. Um, he says the outlook is uncertain. Um, so, but he's going to continue to do what he feels like he needs to do to support that recovery. Um, and Wall Street loves any sort of reassurance they can get from the uh, Fed chairman. Um, so that was super exciting for Wall Street. They, you know, they went crazy. They want him to continue to do what he can to boost the economy. Um, so markets usually react either positive or negatively to whatever he has to say. So as I touched on slightly earlier, the, um, the Fed is not supposed to be part of either political party in this country. They're supposed to stay neutral. The economy is not necessarily a partisan issue because it affects all of us. Mm -hmm. So, but Congress is kind of peppering him with all these questions about stimulus aid um, because Biden proposed a $1.9 trillion package, which is historic in its own right. Um, we're still waiting. And we're still waiting. We're still waiting. We're still waiting. Um, yeah, Congress has a lot that they're not really on the same page about. It's definitely causing a slowdown. Um, part of that, obviously, was the $15 minimum wage that Biden threw in there. And uh, one side of the aisle is not too happy about. They don't think that really belongs in this bill. And they just think that that's going to cause a lot of inflation and problems for small businesses. But um, so Congress, they said, Hey man, like what do, do these people actually need stimulus aid? Like if so, how much? And the Fed is not really supposed to make comments on policy like that. That's not really under their realm. And, but the Fed has basically said, yes, people need stimulus. <laughs> yes. The backbone of the economy is the American consumer. And if they are ultimately not outspending money, we're the economy's not going to thrive. And then, you know, one side of the aisle is kind of like, this is not the Fed's place to make a decision on this. And it's like, well, you asked him. So exactly. he's going to give you an answer. And while it's not his place to make a stance on the policy, it probably is his stance to give people a reality check about the economy. Mm -hmm. And I think this really goes to show that the economy it, it, the, the recovery right now, you, we've heard this talked about endlessly, but it, it's a K-shape, which means that some people are doing really, really well and they're recovering and some people are doing really, really poorly and they're going down mm -hmm. because we're still at like almost a 10% unemployment rate right now when you adjust for errors and layoffs and stuff like that. We're still down 10 million jobs since we were a year ago before the pandemic started. Yes. So that's obviously not good. And a lot of people have either 
not been able to get rehired because there was downsizing or, you know, it's just temporary work. They've been furloughed on and off or stuff like that. So that, um, that definitely goes to show that the stock market is not a holistic view of the economy. And just because the stock market gets excited about what the Federal Reserve Chairman has to say, it's not necessarily working for everybody. A lot of people are still out of work. Um, but the Fed also talked about how he's expecting uh, consumer spending to pick up with you know, the rollout. People will start to feel more comfortable going out to restaurants and movie theaters and bars and shopping and all that. So hopefully that'll continue to increase consumer spending for those people who are lucky enough to keep their jobs and you know, still have that income and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Republicans are concerned that the Federal Reserve is going to, you know, there's going to be issues with inflation, meaning the price of goods and services is going to rise. And that is going to happen regardless of what the Fed does. There's always a little bit of inflation that goes on in the economy. It's natural. Um, The Fed likes to target a 2% rate. So if you pay a dollar for something in 2020, you would expect to pay a dollar and two cents for it in 2021. Does that make sense? Now, right now, we're not at 2%. We're at lower than that. So prices are not rising by 2%. It's kind of like in the zero to 1% range, depending on the good or the service. So, but Republicans are concerned that if there's basically too much money injected into the economy with the stimulus aid and, you know, the Federal Reserve buying bonds and such like that, they're concerned that prices are really going to pop. And -hmm. basically, Jerome Powell was kind of reiterating, okay, maybe maybe it'll pop, but it'll only be more of a short-term gain. And the Fed's not worried about short-term inflation, that that's going to happen regardless. But they're more so worried about a long-term inflation. And, you know, if they get to that point, they'll adjust accordingly. So I've talked a lot about, you know, how how all that kind of went down. Um, But I think the bottom line for this is we kind of just need to trust the experts a little bit. and by experts, I mean the Fed. I'm not talking about Congress because they need to get it together, in my opinion. <laughs> but, um, so they, they're, they're concerned. They want the economy, obviously, to thrive. Um, and they're going to do what they can to, you know, keep it, keep it going. But it's, there's only so much the Fed can do. So I think we need Congress to get it together here and um, hopefully pass the stimulus aid, too. One more note on the Fed story before we move on to our next one. Um, okay. The Federal Reserve, like I said, it has, so it, it serves also as a lender between a lot of other banks. Um, there's a lot of money transfers that go on between like different major banks around the world, sometimes um, like major employee agencies, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And on, I believe it was Wednesday this day, their whole wire transfer system completely crashed. No! I know. So that was kind of scary. Um, that caused a lot of problems. I personally work in financial services and we were getting emails about it um like what to say to clients because this was obviously not our fault but it does directly affect us because there was no flow of money so that was kind of scary because nothing was being sent or received and it was a major system outage so there's an investigation going on for it right now they're saying it doesn't look like any sort of foul play or a hacker or anything like that they just think maybe it was I don't know, something something with the power going on, but um, that 
is definitely scary and we do not want stuff like that happening on the regular. So hopefully there's no more problems. Yes. Before you move on, um, Mm -hmm. I know that people cannot see us, but I love the fact that your story is about the Federal Reserve and you're wearing your Hamilton shirt. Oh, I did not put that together. (laughs) That is so ironic though. Yes, um, Alexander Hamilton was the um, chairman of the Federal Reserve. He's on the $10 bill. Yeah, I should have worn my Paul McCartney shirt. Shoot. You want to go change real quick? We'll take a break for the second. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, bottom line on the Fed story, I think we're in good hands with Jerome Pyle. He seems like a rock steady kind of guy. He's no nonsense. He's just looking at guy. the numbers, looking at the data, basically telling Congress to uh, get a kick in the rear and get going here. Get your shit together. Yeah, basically. So let's hope that they do so. So moving on to our next story. So I really hope this does not put people to sleep. That is not the intention. Um, But this is exciting. And this is kind of something that I wanted to touch on. Um, This is a pretty financy story. So bear with me. I will, I've put it as, you know, in layman's terms as much as I possibly can. So when... Everybody knows about the stock market and how people are buying and selling and all that. Companies can be public or they can be private. If they're public, they obviously trade on the stock market. If they are private, they do not. They're held by, you know, owners who, you know, it's not disclosed to anybody. Mm-hmm. Companies obviously make the decision sometimes to go public, which yes. is a way of raising money because you're getting money from investors who want to purchase shares of the company. So you're getting that equity when you're listing yourself on a stock exchange. And obviously there's drawbacks to that because you have to report everything to your investors, all of your financial, all of your financials, you know, if there's any lawsuits that tends to affect the stock, you're a lot more scrutinized and in the public eye when you're a publicly traded company versus a private one, but you do get that kind of injection of capital from the market. Mm -hmm. So there's pros and cons to both, but right now, Historically, companies, the traditional way for them to put themselves on a stock market was through a process called an initial public offering. And that's still very much a thing. Um, That's a very involved process that it involves a lot of registration with the SEC. Um, The company tends to go on what they call a roadshow, which is where they will go to different banks. And what's so funny? It just made me think of like antiques roadshow. Antiques roadshow, yeah. Like this is <laughs> how much does my this company worth? Yeah, this is what we're trying to sell our company for. Um, but so they go on these roadshows where they will talk to different investment banks and try to get them to be the bank to take them public. Um, and usually okay. it's it's multiple banks depending on the size of the company. And banks obviously get fees and compensation for it, um, but they're taking on the risk of what if you know, what if this company flops on the market in the first few days. But because of not just COVID, but in general, for the past few years, we've seen a lot of volatility in the market. So Mm -hmm. a lot of companies are kind of scared to go public because the swings have been so wild. They don't want a down day on the same day that they go public because that will really affect their stock price, even if it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the company itself. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of overall investment jitters. So 
what people have been doing instead of a normal IPO, they have been doing, they've been going public through something called a SPAC, which stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Core. SPAC. Yes, SPAC. SPAC it hard. SPAC it in air. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Beyonce reference there. But um, so a special purpose acquisition company. So it is not a legitimate, well, it's legitimate, but it's not a real company. Like it does not have products or services. It's really just a shell company. They're also called blank check companies. And they are set up for the sole purpose to raise money by going public. And they will later either acquire a private company or they will merge with another private company. And then the new combined entity will end up going public. So investing in SPACs is pretty risky because you don't ultimately know where your money is going to go. Okay. Because it completely depends on who they decide to acquire or merge with once they have the money to complete that transaction. So it's a little risky, but typically when a company goes public with a SPAC, they have an idea kind of of some potential targets of who they would want to kind of merge or acquire. Um, But this is a pretty good short-term investment for people because if there's no merger within two years of the SPAC going public, then it's completely liquidated and people get their money back. Mm -hmm. So it's a good short-term investment option. Um, But again, a little risky, like I said, because you don't know ultimately what you're going to go into but because of all the market volatility in the last year or so it's been insanely popular for companies to go public this way instead of the normal IPO partially Mm -hmm. because with COVID you're not going on a road show you're not traveling all over to talk to all these banks because of the volatility they don't want the market to kind of sink their stock price even though there's maybe nothing wrong with the company it's just jitters like I said um so a lot of companies have been going public via a SPAC. There was $64 billion of SPAC, or of SPAC offerings last year. And that is almost all of the 2020 traditional IPOs combined. So it's, uh, it, it blew up big time and it's on track to be you know, just as popular and just as in demand this year. Um, so some examples of companies that have been kind of going public with SPACs. Uh, DraftKings is an example, the gam- the sports gambling site. Yeah. Um, Virgin Galactic, if you've heard of that company. Mm-hmm. And some other companies that are kind of toying with the idea of maybe going public this way would be 23andMe, the uh, genetic testing service where you, yes. you can send it off, as well as um, WeWork. So WeWork is the flexible workspace company. Um, okay. They were set to go public last year and they did not because they were under intense scrutiny. Um, their CEO at the time, Adam Newman, he's kind of a free bird. Um, he, <laughs> there, was, there was some questionable stuff going on. He basically would purchase the real estate and then sublease it to the clients and like all the money would be flowing through him. Mm-hmm. as opposed to the actual company so you know investors don't like that to having one person have all the power they want you know there yeah. to be a corporation that's you know there's at least like legal ramifications and stuff like that so mm-hmm. once people it was hugely valued it was like in the 20 I believe billions of dollars at the time and then mm-hmm. people started to read between the lines 
and they were like oh wait a minute hmm. no this is this is not no it's not so good so they backed off of an ipo um a Japanese bank called SoftBank is the one who kind of currently runs it. And they basically, they took Adam Newman out of the equation completely. There's, there's a settlement there, but they're like, yeah, you have no business running this company. <laughs> so, but, um, but they're still interested in going public. So they are kind of toying with the idea of going with a SPAC. So what's also kind of interesting to know about SPACs, and this is something that sort of plays in to your side of like our podcast, Alyssa, is that celebrities have been a huge selling point for SPACs. Okay. Like a lot of SPACs, they are trying to attract investors and they're doing this by getting their celebrities to be early investors. So the people who are kind of on board even before the company goes public or they're on the board so they can help make decisions and stuff like that. Like Serena Williams is on the board of one, Alex Rodriguez, Ooh. like a lot of athletes, um, they've been really kind of a big selling point for these SPACs and kind of helping draw popularity in the market. But um, a lot of business outlets kind of think that if they're using celebrities to kind of attract investors, it's probably not a good investment opportunity. That's fair. kind of the general consensus because it's, it's a lot of flash and not mm -hmm. necessarily a lot of substance. Um, and most investors really have honestly no business investing in SPACs because of the risk involved and not knowing what's going to happen and who, who ultimately their money will be invested with. So, yes. but there's a lot of speculation right now that there's going to end up being a bubble or there might already be a bubble. So when there's an asset bubble, it means there's a huge run up in popularity and in price of a certain asset and it just the growth is crazy and it can't be sustained so we saw this back in 2008 with the housing bubble housing prices got just ridiculously high even though incomes were so were not moving at all mm -hmm. um and then we saw the dot-com bubble with all those tech companies going public at the beginning of the millennium so mm. we've seen bubbles before um they're obviously hard to see but we can, we can definitely speculate. Um, and because there's just so much money and SPACs hitting the market, they're going to make up a majority of the public offerings this year already. And we're two months into the year at this point. Um, so we'll see what happens and if it does indeed end up being a bubble. But these are super risky because if you're kind of a later investor in a SPAC, it's very possible that your shares are going to be diluted because the early investors in SPACs, like the people who get on the board even before the company goes public, mm -hmm. they have what they call a warrant. And I won't get too granular with this because it's super financy and boring, but a warrant basically gives these people the right to buy or sell shares at a certain price before an expiration date. So it either helps them like cash in their gains early or limit their losses. Okay. It's a way to hedge your bet, basically. But investors who invest later down the line, they don't have this. So their shares are going to be diluted because if, you know, these warrants are being used, it's going to cause problems for them. They're not going to be able to cash in on the gains as much if someone has already, you know, cashed in. So it's their shares are diluted. Um, mm -hmm. So the odds are kind of stacked against these investors who are coming in later to the game. So if any of our listeners, you know, are kind of watching the market and thinking about what to buy into, if you're more of an amateur investor, I would not 
recommend SPACs personally. Um, I don't think any other financial advisor would as well. Um, and inevitably standards are gonna slip. Like you're just gonna see so much popularity, so many people dying to get to the market and you know get this money from investors that the companies that keep coming, they're just, they're not gonna be as solid as maybe some of the original movers who are ready to go to the market. Mm-hmm. And that's also what we saw with the housing bubble. Um, people who really could not afford mortgages were able to get loans because there was some very predatory lending practices going on. So the standards were slipping and that's what caused so many defaults with the housing bubble back in 2008. So yeah, so if you hear about companies going public via SPAC, um, buyer beware, basically do your research um, and we'll see if it does indeed end up being a bubble because there's a lot on the market right now. Rikes. (laughs) Sorry. All I can think of now is just titling this episode SPAC to the future because like of what it. I'm about to talk about. <laughs> Hold on one second. Right into it and sleep. I know that was no, no. business heavy, but um, watch out for bubbles. They're real. Annabelle They're is scary. helping us to prepare for our futures yes. right now. This Absolutely. is this is time what is she the does. number one investment tool, guys. So yes. Okay, I'm gonna. Alrighty, so. My first um, subject of discussion today is a very um, widely talked about um, concept right now in Hollywood, which is reboots. And before I actually get into uh, my first story, I would like to say that while I am aware of what happened to one Mr. Tiger Woods this week. And while we wish him the best in his recovery, as well as uh, Lady Gaga and her dogs who have yeah. thankfully been recovered. Was um, it was terrible. Um, I do feel as though those were very saturated this week in news media. Yes. So I wanted to talk about some other things that are going on presently. So, and with that, I'm gonna get into the story next. So this kind of leans into Annabelle's side of uh, the show a little bit, whereas CBS All Access, which is a streaming platform owned by CBS and Viacom, has made the decision to transfer all of their um, content and material over to another streaming platform to create one big streaming platform called Paramount+. Plus. And Paramount Plus, as we saw during the Super Bowl with the mountain commercials with Jeff Probst and Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> we love Jeff Probst. I'm a big Survivor fan. <laughs> I'm not as big of a Survivor fan as uh, Annabelle is, but I do love it. And uh, Jeff Probst. I introduced her to it. She so did, yes. Something she did. On. <laughs> um, so that's how most people have become aware of Paramount Plus. But recently, this week, they've announced a lot of new material that is going to be streaming on their service once they launch in March. I believe it's March 14th. I may be wrong about that, but it's March. It's the 4th, and I know that only because I have a CBS All Access account. Every time I launch it, they're like, Paramount Plus coming soon. There you go. They got to get the get the word out there. Okay, so... On top of Paramount Plus, another revival, reboot, whatever you want to call it, premiered this week on Peacock, which was Punky Brewster. And for those of you who are a little bit younger, may not know who Punky Brewster is. She was like this, like, 
wacky orphan in the 80s and she had her own show like she was very much about like dressing in funky designs and doing like wacky things and now she has a revival show on peacock about um her as an adult like adopting children i believe i haven't watched the show but that really caught my attention because i was like at work and i saw that headline and i was like oh, here we go again with the revivals and the reboots and I went on Entertainment Weekly, which is where um, I get a lot of my entertainment news. And that's what mm -hmm. I'm going to use to source most of this. And I saw that Frasier was getting a reboot for Paramount+. Plus. Annabelle, are you familiar with Frasier? I am. Okay, cool. Rad. I'm, and I'm say, not personally like, I've never seen the original. I can't imagine it deserves a reboot though. Am I wrong? <laughs> Um, I mean, harsh. like, I'm, I'm not the biggest Frasier fan either, so I can't really say for certain, um, but I was a little perplexed when I first saw it. And then right under the article about Frasier, I see that Rugrats is getting a reboot for Paramount+. Plus. Interesting. And no shade to the animators and the people that decided to do this, but if there is a trailer already out for the Rugrats reboot and it looks terrifying. Oh really? It's scary. <laughs> like the like the visuals of it, are they kind of scary looking babies? <laughs> well, they look the same, like they're the same design concept, but the animation style, it's kind of like it, it's almost like 3D claymation kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I can't explain it very I'll well. Yes. So That's these, <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, once again, you know, to each their own in their endeavors, but it just kind of scared me. So these two reboots really sent oh. me down. Oh, <laughs> she saw it. Yeah. I, uh-uh. I'm not here for that either. <laughs> no, you can keep that. <laughs> I'm good. I'm glad I'm past the uh, Rugrats phase of my TV days. Thankfully, I will not be watching the reboot. Same. So those two stories really sent me down a rabbit hole of what Paramount Plus was intending to do with their concept. So I am going to read off a list of um, shows that I found that Paramount Plus is planning to launch. Um, and they're all reboots, revivals, spinoffs of content that is already existing. So I will start now. There is a Godfather series in the works. There's already three Godfather movies. And the last one is not good. Right. <laughs> that yeah, coming we, from- We watched the first two together. Um, yes, we did. In college, you introduced them to me. And like, they're, they're very solid movies. And I could kind of understand wanting to milk that idea. Oh, of course. so popular, but I'm not sure what they would do with the TV show unless it's like the new generation of mob bosses or something. It's either that or it's a prequel series. I don't really know. But yes, I introduced The Godfather to Annabelle because The Godfather Part 1 is one of my favorite movies of all time and she needed to see it. Yes, um, I stuff from Alyssa, by the way. <laughs> Criminal Minds is getting a reboot. Didn't it just end? Like fairly recently? A few years ago, but yes. I mean, that one has a huge following. Like everybody I know who watches Criminal Minds loves it, but there's so many seasons of it. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Like that's, that's kind of the point of like my whole story is a lot of these are fairly recent um, uh, content and shows. And I'm like, why are we rebooting these? Yeah, um, already. Yeah. yeah. 
The next one is a revival of the show The Game, which if I remember correctly, starred Tia Mowry of Sister Sister fame. It might've been Tamara, but I'm pretty sure it was Tia. Um, that one, but. Yeah. I, the only reason I know about it is because she guest starred on an episode of America's Next Top Model during the time at which the game was airing on the CW. So that's why I know about the game. Gotcha. <laughs> They're doing a SpongeBob spinoff. That one I've seen. Yeah. Um, that one I kind of, I guess, I don't know. SpongeBob is such a classic for so many children. I mean, even people our age, Alyssa and I are in our early 20s and yeah, people still quote SpongeBob to this day. So and it's still on air. And it is still on air. Are they making new episodes or is it just reruns? I believe they're still making new episodes. Okay. That's what I thought too. Because um, I know the creator passed away. Stephen Hillenberg, we don't yeah. deserve you. I love him. But, I mean, yeah, if it's still on air, I don't totally get why they would do a reboot. Thank you. Um, not one, but two Star Trek spinoffs are in the works. That I expected. I feel like all the sci-fi movies, TV shows, whatever, they just, they, they milk it for all that it is worth. We've seen it with Star Wars on Disney Plus with the Mandalorian and mm -hmm. prequels, the sequels, the post, whatever. <laughs> I got a lot of Star Wars content, so it makes sense uh, Star Trek would follow suit there. Also, I have nothing against uh, the more serious turns in the Star Trek canon, but I am a firm believer in the OG series with William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and Nichelle Nichols. Yes. If you need a good laugh, go watch the original Star Trek because it is gold. Yes. <laughs> it's so watch funny. And live long and prosper. Yes, yes. All right, next one. This one kind of pissed me off a little bit. They're doing a revival of iCarly. Oh, why? <laughs> uh, man, I... I watched that. That kind of came on toward like the end of my Nickelodeon days. And yeah. I liked it. I didn't love it. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a milk toast show for me. Very, very. It could it could do for some more diversity if you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there was yeah, emphasis on the milk toast. Um, Honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't remember like except for uh, the guy that worked at the smoothie place, one person of color being on that show. Yeah. yeah. What was his name? It was like- uh, I wish I remembered. I just remember him, like they were on a stick and he would go, you, got any, you want any bagels? <laughs> Whatever he said, like something to that effect. Basically. It was a relatively different sounding name, Bagel Man from iCarly. Let's see. This is important. We have to look this up. Tebow, Tebow. Oh, like Tim Tebow? No, just like T-Bow. Oh, okay. Tebow. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Uh, we're doing a Dora the Explorer live action remake. Ah, that sounds scary. <laughs> I just, I just want to know what Boots is going to look like. I and I want to know what the map is going to look and like. The backpack too. Oh, and Swiper. Ugh. Oh no, my God. No swiping. Um, they are doing a prequel series to Greece called Rise of the Pink Ladies. That could potentially be interesting because that I, movie was at least from the 70s. I'm interested because Greece is also on my top 20 list of favorite films of all time. I can quote it like the back of my hand. I know every word to every song. I love Greece. So it's the time, it's the place, it's the motion. Greece is the way we are feeling. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, anyways, uh, going back to animation for a second, Fairly Odd Parents is getting a live action remake. This just sounds kind of revamping everything that was in their older Nickelodeon library. Exactly. Exactly. That is the, that, like, I hate saying exactly one more time, but that is what went through my mind when reading all these stories. I was like, oh, so you're just taking advantage of all this content that you already have the rights to and the license right. to, and you're just milking it for all it's worth. Mm -hmm. um, they're doing a spinoff of Behind the Music. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, Beavis and Butthead is getting a movie. Be said of my Beavis and Butthead knowledge. I'm not a fan of Beavis and Butthead. You know, you do yeah. you. I was more of a King of the Hill kind of girl myself, but you do you, Mike Judge. Um, Pet Cemetery is getting a prequel. No, I'm interested to know your take on this because you are a horror buff, and I know I Pet Cemetery is one of your favorite Stephen King. It is. It is. So, how do you feel about the prequel? Okay, so I completely am down for them explaining how the Pet Cemetery came to be because in the book as well as the original movie and the god-awful remake that came out like two years ago um they kind of glaze over how it came to be like they're just like oh yeah here's Pet Cemetery in the back of my yard it was right here and it's like what so <laughs> come again <laughs> so I would I am interested in this I wouldn't say that I have full hope in it but yes, I adore the first Pet Cemetery movie that came out in um, the 80s. A woman actually directed it, fun fact, which I, I think yes. is why I love it so much. Mm -hmm. But yes, if you've, if you've never seen the original Pet Cemetery movie, go watch it. Do not watch the remake that, like I said, came out like two years ago. It's terrible. It's absolutely garbage and it's not worth watching. Anyways, <laughs> um, la second to last one workaholics is getting its own film uh, <laughs> uh i've seen a few episodes of that it's like I, don't know, I hate to stereotype it just seems like one of those stupid frat boy shows absolutely that that's like their market that they're catering toward and don't get me wrong that's a sizable market like yes has to appeal to those people yeah i tried to watch it and it just felt like more or less the same thing every episode but i do actually like that set of actors i think they're pretty solid people. oh yeah i'm i'm a big adam divine fan i think he's cool um yeah. the only thing i know of note from workaholics is this clip that my friend showed me in uh when i was in high school and the three guys that are like the main characters they were hunting down a raccoon I believe and the guy with the long hair and the mustache just all of a sudden just goes holy moly she's a thick bitch <laughs> and I just like to this day I'm just anytime I see like a thicky like myself a fellow thicky I'm just like holy moly she's a thick bitch <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've seen a few episodes there's this one where they find their way to this um this juggalo festival like, oh okay clowns yeah um that's about all I remember from that. And then they work as like telemarketers. Yeah. For dumpy company. And that's like part of the joke is like, they're kind of these like annoying telemarketers. You like, I mean, they don't like their jobs either. And this, this one scene, I remember this, these like girls are coming up to them and they're, you know, chatting with the boys and they're like, oh, what do you do? And they're like, we're telemarketers. And then they just like completely lose their minds and start like flipping them off and yelling at them because everybody hates telemarketers and they absolutely unbelievably annoying. So, but so that, that, sorry. 
No, go ahead. That is the last one of the Paramount Plus era. But the last one that I would like to mention is one that a lot of people know already. It's getting a lot of traction because it's, uh, I believe it's about to air in the next two months or so on HBO Max. We have a Gossip Girl sequel series coming out. Ooh. You know about that one? I actually did not know that. Um, Really? Yes, this is why you cover entertainment and I cover business. (laughs) I'm behind the curve on that one. Um, I I never fully got through Gossip Girl. I watched a few, I think I watched the first couple seasons and then I watched the last couple as they were airing. Um, I got pretty confused because there was a bunch of stuff in the end of the series about like, oh, this person's impersonating somebody else. Like it's identity theft and that's not really who it is. Yeah, it was wild. It got complicated and it just... I don't have the attention span for that, but I know a lot of people like it and stylistically it is a beautiful show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never watched it. I've seen maybe like one episode of Gossip Girl in my entire like history on earth, but from what I can understand about this reboot is it's going to be much more diversified. Like there's going to be like a decent amount of people and people of color in the main cast, which is fantastic because that's one of the main reasons I didn't like want to watch the first show because I was like oh it's all these like private school white girls whining about their rich problems and I was like upper east side elite absolutely for heavily white so Mm -hmm. I mean just based on the show premise yeah that was not gonna lead to diversity in casting at all which is and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong maybe I shouldn't have more hope for this series but you know hopefully hopefully people take this in stride but yeah that's mainly what I just wanted to talk about today is just like these these companies like hitching their bandwagon onto the streaming platform um success you should you could say and Annabelle pointed it out earlier in the week when I was telling her that I was going to cover it Paramount Plus already is behind in the game because they're coming in late and there's a stream war going on guys there's I mean Apple got in on it. Disney got in on it. We have obviously had Netflix and Hulu prior, HBO, mm-hmm. you know, there's Peacock now. And there's so many subscription services for streaming content. And this one, I at least understand because they already own the rights to all these shows. Yes. You really would just have to develop the platform itself. For me, I was surprised when I first heard about Apple Plus because Same. Apple's not a content production company. No, they are not. That didn't make any sense to me. That seemed like it was going to be kind of a loss leader and they were only charging like five or six dollars a month for a subscription. So I didn't totally understand that. I guess they're just trying to get people hooked on Apple. I was personally pissed off when Apple announced Apple TV Plus because I am an Apple TV user. That's like the main place that I go when I want my content. And I was pissed that I had to pay extra to get Apple TV Plus. I was like, this should be included. Like what hell? Give you a free year of it if you buy a new Apple device. Yes. Like you should have it now because of your Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, even if you do have a subscription, that that personally is not one of my favorites. There's not much on there. And they haven't come out with anything new recently. Yeah. Like literally, like they had a great hit with the Morning Show and Dickinson, but neither of them have had a a second season I believe yet and it's like y'all y'all are y'all are flatlining yeah I think they're shooting the morning show but they've had issues obviously with COVID and like when your two main stars are Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston like those are like some of the busiest actresses in Hollywood absolutely yes (laughs) just hard to nail them down but 
yeah, the streaming wars are um, they're real and they're going on. And I think, especially with COVID, where it's probably a lot harder to produce things, I think we're seeing these production companies lean heavily on what they've already created. And they're kind of hoping people will pick up on the nostalgia factor. And even if, you know, like Alyssa and I are obviously past our time where we would be watching SpongeBob and Rugrats every day, but we're probably <laughs> hoping that people like us who watched those shows as a kid would go back and, you know, watch the spinoffs and be like, these are our favorite characters, you know, just kind of get caught up in it. Yes. All right. So my next story, Sir Paul, as we were talking about earlier, Sir Paul McCartney has announced that he is going to be releasing a memoir. Okay. Um, I got this information from The Guardian as well as the Associated Press. So you guys can go read the articles if you want to. I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of the basis of this. The memoir is going to be formatted in two volumes. And I believe it's going to be, um, he, he called it a self-portrait in 154 songs. So the way it's going to go is he's going to go alphabetically in his discography, like the names of the songs and attach like notes to them and say like, this is what I was feeling when I wrote this song. This was the stage in my life that I was at, what I was thinking about on a daily basis, what relationships I was going through kind of thing. And it is slated for a November 2nd release. Okay. Which is so he's probably still working on this then. It's not. Mm -hmm. And he... It is also being co-written by Paul Muldoon, who is an Irish Pulitzer Prize winning poet who has helped edit it with him. Okay. Yes. Dream team. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the memoir will also include like some personal archive material that's never been before seen, such as like drafts, letters, photographs, things like that. And I really just wanted to talk about this because in my personal opinion, um, I told Annabelle about this uh, a few days ago, but I was I was that white girl in middle and high school that was listening to the Beatles thinking like, oh, this is real music. Like I was that girl. <laughs> and I still have a very soft spot in my heart for um, the Beatles, obviously. I definitely um, don't hold them at to as high of a standard as I used to. Mm -hmm. um, but they definitely changed my life in a way. Uh, I, for my sweet 16, my brother flew me out to Houston and we went to a Paul McCartney concert. Oh. Like in the middle of the week. And that's, how, that's why I have a Paul McCartney shirt. <laughs> so, and I remember like he opened up the concert with like, I believe it was Magical Mystery Tour. And I was like bawling. Like Aww. I was just like, oh, like crying. And yeah, Paul McCartney is just one of those people that I would love to meet in real life. I he's he's a wonderful person like in real life, you know, like I personally when I was obsessed with him, I was into John Lennon. Like I held John Lennon to a god standard, which I know is blasphemous to many people, but remember I was like 13. <laughs> but as I grew older, I was like Ugh. like um Obviously, you know, don't meet your heroes, but he's no longer with us, so I couldn't meet him. But I definitely was able to get to know him better through the more readings that I did. And, you know, I realized that he was, you know, abusive towards women and racist and homophobic. And I was like, oh, 
this maybe is not the white man that I should be standing. (laughs) So yeah. And obviously Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr are the only two Beatles that are still with us to this day. George Harrison's birthday was actually this week. It was February 25th, uh, but sadly he passed away back in 2001 of lung cancer. And this uh, book that Sir Paul is planning on writing is the first time that any Beatle has sat down and written a full account of his life. Now, obviously this wouldn't be like from start to finish because this is mainly based on his songs and his like songwriting, but it's still like worth mentioning because as well known as they are, the Beatles are like pretty secretive people when it comes to their personal lives. So I am definitely interested in this book and I would love to you know, see what's going on. I did see that it has a listing price of $100. Oh my goodness. Is that for both volumes or just the first one? I believe it's for the both. So, which I can, oh my gosh, which I can kind of understand. 50 bucks a book? (laughs) It's Paul McCartney. (laughs) It is. Paul McCartney. I will not read your memoir, sir. I'll give you the cliff notes. (laughs) But yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. I like messed up my computer, but I just like, I don't know. He, he brings me to a happy place. I just think he's a very like cool old man. Like mm-hmm. if anyone's watched like the carpool karaoke that he did with James Corden, it's in Liverpool and they literally stopped by like major sites, like in uh, his and the Beatles career. Like they go to the Cavern Club, they go to Penny Lane, they go to like Abbey Strawberry Road. Fields, Abbey Road. Yeah, it's just really cool. Um, and oh my gosh, he has previously written a um, slew of books, mostly for children. Um, he wrote a book called Blackbird Singing, collection of lyrics and poems spanning from 1965 to 1999 that was released in 2001. He wrote High in the Clouds, which was a children's book co-written by Philip Arda in 2005. And his most recent book was called Hey Grand Dude, which was a picture book illustrated by Catherine Durst, which if you guys don't get the joke, it's Hey Jude by the Beatles. And Jude was actually uh, Julian Lennon, who was John Lennon's first child. And the song was written to Julian as kind of like a cheer up song when his parents were going through a highly publicized divorce. Yes. So I just thought it was cool and worth mentioning and like kind of like once again, you know, Tiger Woods's car crash, Lady Gaga's dogs being stolen, very like heavy, um, sad material for this week. And I just wanted to kind of highlight something that was like, you know, happy and cool. And Paul McCartney is 78. And he, I believe he is turning 79. Um, I still have all their birthdays memorized in my head. Yeah, true so fan <laughs> I really, yeah, no, his birthday is June 18th, if anyone was wondering. Um, so, you know, he is, he is getting higher up there in years, you know. So I think this is a great idea for him to get it out and just like release what he's been feeling. Because he has remarked in the past about how you know, people have been like, why won't you write a memoir, Sir Paul? And he's just like, it's not the time and place yet. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's really nice that he has found uh, the peace within himself to finally sit down and get all of this out on paper. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like 
you know, as a writer, I feel like writing is very healing for many, not all, but many people. And it really helps you go through a lot of happiness, sadness, anguish, and it just, it, it, it's trans, it's transformative, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really cool format. He's putting it in with all of his discography and mm-hmm. just kind of adding personal commentary. Um, Cause obviously like he doesn't necessarily need a memoir just in the sense that that's kind of what artists do. Like their memoir is their work in a way and you go through their journey with them as you follow their work. But this is a cool way to kind of add some background. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely glad you covered this. I should um, also, I guess it's a little after the fact now, but I should say, I know that there was a lot of scary stuff going on in the news this week with the Syrian airstrikes um, yes. and kind of the the ruling about the Saudi crown prince um, with, you know, President Biden deciding not to ultimately punish him, um, killing of the American journalist, Khashoggi. Um, But like we've kind of talked about prior, we like to talk about maybe some other things going on in the news that are not as highly covered. um, And we kind of try and stay away from anything super politicized. So that's kind of why I like to talk about business and Alyssa likes to cover entertainment. Yeah. And tonight is the Golden Globes, which that gives you a preview about half of what I'll be talking about next week. Um, I already messed up my sleep schedule, so I'm going to have to find out a way to watch the program and also get enough sleep to go into work tonight. But um, really excited about that. I can't wait to see what goes on tonight. And one of my favorite parts about any award show is the fashion. So that's I'm excited to comment about what weird things people will be wearing on what I assume is going to be a virtual red carpet, you know. I was going to ask, are they doing it in person or is this all at home? How does that work? I don't really know. They've been kind of like, I know that the two hosts, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, are going to be hosting from uh, east and west coasts. Like they're on either side of the country, but I don't really know about the actual ceremony itself. I would assume since the hosts are not going to be there that it's all going to be virtualized, but you know, that doesn't mean we can't stunt out here for the Zoom audiences. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so I am really excited to see how uh, the formatting goes. Because uh, this is like the first of the bigger award shows for award season uh, to be Grammys in. Grammys are coming. The Oscars are coming. Grammys are March 14th, by the way, just yes. so everyone knows. Um, That's why you had that date in your head for Paramount Plus. Prepare. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had it for the Grammys. Um, I got an agenda for the for the Grammys, and it's it's gonna be intense. Y'all are gonna be hearing there about. In a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Y'all y'all will be hearing all about award show season in the next coming weeks. So, I'll, I'll stop now while I'm ahead. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, we will be back next weekend with more business and more entertainment content. So everybody have a good week. We will talk to you soon. Yay!